Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 46 of the Gateworld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm still David. And this is still the show where two nerds get together and chat about all things that are Stargate. And this week, also all things that are Star Trek. We're going to put our two favorite franchises up against each other this week. Stargate versus Star Trek. But before we get to that, we have another very special interview preview this week. It's with actor Kirby Morrow, who plays Captain Dave Kleinman on Stargate. That's who is Dave Kleinman? He was the navigator of the Daedalus. Yes, flight of the navigator on Atlantis. <laughs> and uh, we've got a little bit of Stargate news and site features to get to first, so here we go. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for June 10th, 2009. AXN.hu, which is the Hungarian broadcaster of Stargate Atlantis, has posted a new Q&A with fans with actor Joe Flanagan. Joe answered all sorts of questions about the show and his work on it, but one thing that I wanted to highlight uh, in this news story that we published last week is uh, he makes some interesting comments on the cancellation of the show. Joe, as we know, is uh, a great guy and is always... He's very candid. ...ready to share his opinion, you know? He's not one of these guys, and he's told us in interviews in the past he's not going to sugarcoat things, and he's going to tell us what he thinks. So some fans ask him questions about the cancellation and, and his feelings about that and his feelings about the upcoming movie, Stargate Extinction, that hopefully uh, we'll film later this year. And he was very candid. Let's see what he said. He said, No one is really certain why the show was canceled. Every producer or executive lays the blame on the other, so it's become impossible to understand the true reasons. I think our cast did a truly amazing job in helping build a successful franchise, but I don't think that it is seen that way by the writers and producers. Now, here's the interesting bit. He also said, I want to get your, your feedback on this, David. He also said, If Universe is successful, the prevailing theory among the writers and producers will be that actors are dispensable and not a critical part of the show. Only time will tell. What do you think of those comments? I think time and the fans and the ratings will judge what specifically about Universe makes it a success or a failure. Whether or not you believe that the cast of Atlantis did a good job is one thing, but the other point is that across the board, ratings were, have been horrendous. And Atlantis was no exception. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think sci-fi basically and everyone else involved basically said, you know what? We think that this is the best that Atlantis can be, so let's end it here and do movies. And with the state of the economy, uh, Atlantis may end up drawing the short straw. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't think Joe is 100% right. Yeah, there are a lot of factors that go into a decision like that other than just the acting. We as fans have been obviously a bit flummoxed by the departure of several main cast members over the course of the last few years. Sort of the recognition that, that those actors were written off sometimes, not for story reasons, but because of behind-the-scenes problems. I, yeah, I see Joe's frustration with, with sort of the ongoing relationship between the, the actors, or at least some actors, and the powers that be that call the shots. I think the the best thing to do is hire right the first time around, and 
and certainly that's been John Smith and and uh, the, John John is in particular one of the people whose opinions I trust, especially when he and I are just chatting by ourselves at the convention this this past year. He is truly amazed by them, and I am as a fan. I'm going to take that to the bank. The universe cast, you mean? Yeah, mm. yeah, I am. Sci-Fi has released a brand new promo this week in which the Stargate Universe cast talk candidly about how they feel the show is progressing and uh, what flavors they think are a part of the series. Uh, It's filled with a bunch of uh, pop advertising words, new and hip and sexy and, you know, all that jazz that is supposed to make me turn my head and say, hmm, maybe this is a show that I need to watch. It's definitely a marketing piece, mm-hmm. uh, so you need to take it with a grain of salt. It's This is promo number three from Sci-Fi Channel, and it's different from the previous two. Uh, in the, the previous two were just sort of really quick flashes. Uh, this has some extended scenes, and by extended I mean like four or five seconds long instead of a quarter of a second. Uh, a little bit of dialogue, actually, from the show, uh, so you're seeing a little bit more of the show. And then on-camera interviews formal interviews with the cast and they just get like little one sentence snippets from four or five different cast members you notice they're talking to us they're being candid directly to us they're petitioning us to tune in mm-hmm. let's listen to it SGU is uh, is about survival more than anything else these are real stories and real people with real concerns we can't continue to scrape by barely surviving we can't say for sure that this is going to get you home but the best minds that we have are working on this it's sexier it's grittier it's going to have a different look. It's going to have a different feel. It's going to be written in a different way. If we continue this pace, we're going to die out here. Don't push! We have really dramatic turns with these characters and having the audience really root for them and feel for them. It's human will and, and a story about hope and faith. That's called Survival. You can find it now at sci-fi.com slash universe. I think it's cool. Much better than the second one, I thought. Uh, yeah, I didn't like philosophical, yeah, I, the second the second teaser that they did. Except for Brian Jay and Robert Carlyle and a, a couple of the others. For a couple of them, this is the first that we've really heard from them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's, a, I think it's a, a good little promo. It's definitely worth the 30 seconds that, it, that it'll take you to watch it. Yeah. The, so check it out. The couple things that I love about this is uh, that we get to see a scene... Of, of the characters on board the Destiny talking about their, their crisis. There's, a, there's an exchange with uh, Ming-Na's character, Camille Ray, and Colonel Telford, played by Lou Diamond Phillips, have a little exchange there that you heard. And the other thing is there's some shots in this from the, the desert filming that they did at White Sands in New Mexico. And mm-hmm. boy, that looks cool. That looks like a nice desert alien terrain. Yeah, they definitely, you know, Brad and Rob wanted the money to do this show right. And they can get their scripts out ahead of time enough where they can have a couple of episodes, uh, have scenes in places where there isn't a wall 20 feet away or a sand dune 20 feet away that's preventing you from seeing the horizon line. Oh, man, I can't Mm -hmm. wait. It's beautiful. Just those very brief little flashes of of that that scene, which will be, uh, I believe, in Air Part Mm 3. It reminds me of the Yuma Desert scenes for Abydos from the original Stargate Stargate film. The thing about the movies, uh, Arc of Truth and Continuum, they had these walking scenes 
where we really took in the fact that, yes, we are in this remote location, so we are going to milk this location for every chance we get. Mm-hmm. And the, the music comes over, We have and Ark Teal'c is walking. Teal'c walking over the mountains. And in Continuum, Sam and uh, Cam are walking. And I saw both films with an audience, a rather large audience. Uh, Not the time that I was with you, but when I was uh, at Stargate Worlds, we got to preview them. And both times, everyone started laughing after like the the fifth or sixth uh, crossfade. (laughs) Because we're like, okay, this is getting corny. It was very obvious that we were milking this location for every cent that we could because we went to the trouble to go out there to it. Um, I hope that's not the case in uh, the universe episodes where this is featured in. But hey, at least we got it. Mm-hmm. At least it's not Vancouver trees. And also in universe news this week, we've just gotten some brand new cast photos. There is one new photo for each of the nine main cast members, and they are lovely. They look like it's in the in the same photo shoot that they did for the the whole cast photo. Mm-hmm. That we saw. So this is this is the cast members in their civvies. This, this is not posed as characters in uniforms. I think they look cool. Have you looked at these? Yes, the they originally came out in uh, the latest Stargate SG One Atlantis magazine uh, several weeks ago. Oh, okay. That should still be available on uh, news racks. That's those same pictures. So I'm, I'm glad we have them in our archive now. Yep. Gateworld features. Our interview with Terrell Rothery is now up on the website. Terrell spoke candidly with us for about. Five minutes or so, very brief period of time. Unfortunately, we didn't cover everything that I wanted to talk about, but uh, we were very thankful that Terrell had uh, time to spare with us at uh, the convention this past year, and hopefully we'll be in touch with her again. So that's now on the website. Last week on the Friday Five, we talked about top five favorite moments for Jack and Daniel, this friendship that has gone all the way back to the original Stargate film, these are my top five picks over the course of the series. Uh, some some really great memorable stuff in it, some favorite episodes. I was on Twitter and asked fans to, to give me some of their favorite moments, and they definitely overlapped with mine. Uh, number five is Daniel is a Geek. This is the really quick little elevator scene in Serpent's Venom when the team is getting ready to go to the Tobin minefield, and Daniel's dragging all his books along and, and tells Jack that he couldn't get a copy of Vex Ancient Phoenician Symbology on CD at archaeology.com. Jack just does this little move, pushes his glasses up, like saying, yeah, you're such a nerd, and you're my friend. Uh, That's perfect. Just a nice little moment. The other four, go and check them out on gateworld.net, and uh, they're, they're bigger moments. And then this coming week, in keeping with our podcast theme this week, we're doing top five favorite Star Trek references in Stargate. And we've actually gotten a ton of feedback on this already, people throwing out their their favorites. This past Monday, June the 8th, saw the launch of three new sections to the Gate World Gallery under the screen captures from DVD category. We're still working on pushing out everything from Region 1's Stargate SG-1 Complete Series box set. This week, uh, we have three new sections, uh, the profile on Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully, Stargate SG-1 The Alliance video game, and Stargate SG-1 True Science. Now, you're still working on the, the four bonus discs that are in the complete series set, is that right? Yes, I am going to go balls to the walls this week and finish that out. We're going to have a ton oh, of additions wow. over the course of this week. The Monday, June 15th editions, expect them to include the complete series the Gate Video Diaries. Uh, that's the complete series box set, the, the ones that were included in there. The Gateway to Adventure Season 5 featurette, 
Journey Inside Lost City, The Last Day of Teal'c, Season 8's Mobius, and Richard Dean Anderson, My Life as a Mime, and anything else. I'm, I'm sure I've left something out of those discs, so anything else that's in there. I've never watched that feature. So My Life as a Mime. He really was a mime before he, he got into television. Oh, I, I knew that. I just haven't seen the feature. Yeah. So. Didn't he have, one. like, a habit of talking as a mime? He, that's what he says, yeah. He, had a, he was the worst mime in history because he would talk. Well, that's cool. We'll look for that. And so it sounds like we're just two or three weeks away from getting into the seasons one through ten stuff. Yes, after June 22nd is Stargate Ultimate Edition. And our brand new interview coming to GateWorld in just a few days is with actor Kirby Morrow, who plays Captain Dave Kleinman on Stargate Atlantis. Was he just on Atlantis, or was he ever on SG-1? I think he may have done a crossover on SG-1 a couple of times. One of those crossover guys who jump back and forth between the Odyssey and the Daedalus. This guy has a sense of humor about him. He has some personality that that is completely against any on-screen time. The Wraith ships are attacking us, sir, and we need to jump to light speed in 10 seconds or we're dead. You know, that's just, that's not this guy. Mm. You're going to see a very different side of him. And we uh, interviewed him at Creations Vancouver Convention this past April and are finally getting to this interview online. I love comedy. I love doing uh, I hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm st- <laughs> I, I have a stand-up comedy background and I'd love to audition for... Uh, sitcoms we just don't make them here uh, although there's no. one in the works that uh, I just auditioned for and uh, they said they might come up and, and do it here and then they just called my agent and said can he work in the in the states and I don't have the uh, working permit oh, per se oh, but um, okay. I'm going to have to get that to works cause... yeah I know what are these porters we don't need porters <laughs> what are they for crazy <laughs> Jeez. so you were is a captain I started off as a captain, then they, they, they moved me into major status at one time. Okay. And there was actually talk with my agent and everything else, just like, you know, we have this storyline they were thinking about developing with the character, but there's so many A storylines that are very, uh-huh. you know, prominent in the show. It never yeah. really came to be. And I think at first, the way my name came about is Dave Kleinman. Dave it was just Kleinman. one of the, I think it was a crew member. And it was kind yeah. of a joke that they stuck Dave Kleinman on me. And it stayed that way, and it was kind of like, okay, and then I started to be known that people were talking about it on the internet, and I was Captain Dave, Captain Dave, <laughs> The main discussion. The main discussion topic this week, Stargate versus Star Trek. This was a brain fart, er, brainchild of mine. Uh, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, we like Star Trek so much, and we kind of like Stargate, you know, so mm-hmm. why don't we... Um, Good show. Compare and contrast them. I watched it. In the July 26, 2003 issue of TV Guide magazine, many of us will remember, had Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson, Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks, on the cover of TV Guide, boasting the headline, Forget Trek. Stargate SG-1 is now sci-fi's biggest hit. Do you have this issue? I believe I do, yes. I've got it in my closet somewhere. And that was a huge thing. In the summer of 2003... Uh, season 7 had just begun airing. Season mm-hmm. 8 had just been confirmed. Uh, mm-hmm. Stargate was in its ascendancy. The ratings were continuing to climb on Sci-Fi Channel. They would peak in about the first half of Season 8. So uh, the ratings had not even peaked yet for Stargate. Meanwhile, Star Trek was sort of trending downward. I think we were in the last, the last gasps of breath for Enterprise. And then we got a few years of no track before this big J.J. Abrams rebirth. Mm-hmm. So is this mm-hmm. 
you know, this is one of our one of my questions for you to start out this conversation is does this headline Stargate SG one is now sci fi's biggest hit, does this you know, does this bear out six years later? Um well it's no longer sci fi's biggest hit, but at that time it certainly was. Well it's interesting on the magazine, uh, it's lowercase sci fi, so it looks like they're talking about the genre. Oh got not, it, got it, got not it. the network. So Stargate is according to TV Guide was the biggest thing in science fiction in 2003. I think in terms of cult popularity, I think you would agree with me that uh, Battlestar Galactica dethroned Stargate rather rapidly when it was introduced in 2005. Was it that yeah, that's uh, right. January that, 05? That the, was when the series uh, premiered. Series premiered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We should definitely do a, a podcast in the future if we have time for Stargate versus Battlestar because airing back to back on the same network. You know, Stargate was in ascendancy. Stargate, I have, have no question in my mind, Stargate made Sci-Fi Channel a top ten network yes. when it arrived. Uh, 2002, I guess it would have been, with season six. And it was at the top of the ratings, and Atlantis was the, the highest rated premiere that Sci-Fi Channel had ever seen with a 3.2 rating in July of 2004. And then six months later, Battlestar came along and suddenly Battlestar was not only beating it in the ratings, but Battlestar was a huge network and media darling. Well, I think Battlestar owes a great deal to Stargate in terms of Stargate getting Channel on the radar uh, mm-hmm. for it to become so successful. But that's for that discussion topic when we do Stargate versus Battlestar, which oh. I have no doubt we will. We're talking about Star uh, Trek. We are talking about Star Trek. That's right. Stargate owes, I think, a lot to Star Trek, just as much as Star Wars to Star Trek. I don't know where sci-fi uh, mm-hmm. would be had Gene Roddenberry not come in and uh, reinvented that wheel mm-hmm. in the 60s. Absolutely. One of the things where it it, uh, it pokes fun at itself, Stargate is very good about acknowledging all sorts of sci-fi staple origins in Trek. Obviously, I'm going to say Stargate first, but Star Trek is right up there in terms of defining television and defining this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, you would be negligent not to acknowledge it and brad and rob certainly have more than fairly acknowledged it oh yeah all all the references all the star trek cast members appearing in the show because i mean they recognize how good some of them are john billingsley he was simon coombs in the other guys season six so who else for main cast members from a star trek series have been on one of the stargate shows jolene blaylock played ishta in SG-1. Uh, Rene Aubergenois played um, Alar. Alar That's right. in, in Season 4 of The Other Side. In Season 1, you had Armin Shimmerman playing Antaeus yeah, of the Nox. Yeah, he had to have been the first one in the Nox. Marina Sirtis has Marina done Sirtis, Stargate. Svetlana Markov. And, of course, Connor Trenier. Connor oh, Trenier, yeah. Michael on Atlantis. Huge impact of that character. Mm-hmm. Connor really brought it to the table. So there you, there you go. There's, I, I know I'm missing a couple. One of the things that I think Stargate and Star Trek could do is meet somewhere in the middle when it comes to taking themselves too seriously. I love that Stargate has never taken itself too seriously. Mm. But And, and uh, Universe will attest to this. I wish that sometimes it would take itself more seriously. And sometimes I thought that Star Trek was taking itself way too seriously. It got caught up in its own message of changing the world in terms of television, in terms of getting a message that would fly over the network's heads but reach the teenagers and the young people in the audience who would know exactly what they were talking about, exactly what they were trying to get across. Mm. Star Trek has definitely had its humor. I mean, if you look at, at 
shows and, and at films like uh, Voyage Home is obviously a hilarious film. But it's a different kind of humor. Stargate's humor was always, has always been much more self-deprecating. Yes, but Star Trek's humor often, to me, the week-to-week humor felt very staged and not all that real sometimes. Stargate's humor is much more down-to-earth, I think, mm-hmm. it's my opinion, than Star Trek's humor. I think it's achieved much more successfully along the lines of Indiana Jones, Richard Dean Anderson, Bob Picardo, there's another one, Agent Woolsey, has certainly said that to us, you know, in terms of the timbre of the, of the humor. I think Stargate's just been so much more successful. In the humor department. Yeah, in the humor department. This is Ungolded Unis in Indiana. I appreciate that both the Stargate and Star Trek franchises have had good character moments. Some of the shows did it better than others, but generally speaking, both of the franchises had some unforgettable moments involving friendship and how those friendships were impacted by the interesting situations that could only occur on a sci-fi show. Examples would be like the friendships of Jack and Daniel on SG-1 or Geordi and Data on TNG. Now, I have a question for you guys. As a sort of social experiment, if you could pick one character from the Stargate franchise and one character from the Star Trek franchise to be in a situation where they're, say, trapped in a room or something like that, who would you pick, why, and what do you think would happen? I would love Counselor Troy and Dr. Weir. I would love them to pick each other's brains apart. That sounds like a whole lot of talking. I would want to put Jack O'Neill in a shuttlecraft with no power with uh, Catherine Janeway. <laughs> Just to see their their leadership styles as they try to puzzle their way out of that little problem. Jack's not really one for taking orders from anybody. No, he's not, but in the scheme of captains, I think Janeway is much more seam of her pants, gung-ho. I think Jack would have a much better time with Janeway than he would, say, Picard, the negotiator. I mm-hmm. think Jack would think Picard was much more like Daniel. I think he'd be more comfortable with Janeway than any of the others. That's just my opinion. Keza the Ascended writes in and says, Stargate and Star Trek share the main theme of friendship and discovery. And that is what I think is the greatest about both shows. It is these themes that bring the whole story together and make it worth watching every week. In many ways, they both started out the same, discovering a new species on every planet, having to deal with and solve a problem every 43 minutes. The nice thing about Stargate is that they set out in the second episode, The Enemy Within. The galaxy is populated by the ancient peoples of Earth. Mm-hmm. So we no longer have to do that crappy old makeup job week to week where there's there's a million different aliens throughout the galaxy of all relatively the same size with two eyes, two ears, a nose, mm-hmm. a mouth, and two arms and two legs. Variations on the bumpy forehead. Bipeds. Which is right. Which is what I think Farscape endeavored to do very differently. Which oh, yeah. was a breath of fresh air. Is admit that you know, there are other carbon-based oxygen-breathing aliens out there in the cosmos. I mean, it's another conceit, granted, but, you know, it's the best you can communicate with them, and they, of course, have to speak English, most of them. Well, yeah, on, on, that's a good point here. On Star Trek, we have a universal translator, so there's a, there's a technology conceit that we just set out at the beginning, and then we don't have to worry about that pesky language problem that, that interrupts the flow of storytelling. Stargate never had that. And then, of course, you know, you have the obvious. Star Trek is set in the future. Stargate is set in the here and now. 
which lends itself to all sorts of different kinds of character problems and you know sociological problems. The difference in in the fact that Starfleet is is not necessarily strictly a military operation, although it is, I guess, functionally you would call it the military arm, but it's it's more military slash exploration uh, arm mm-hmm. of the Federation versus SG One is present day the United States military and Atlantis is an international coalition with a military presence and there is no prime directive on Stargate no which is there a isn't big big issue for storytelling when you go to a planet and meet a culture that is less advanced than yours and get them into trouble a lot of time I think there really should be a prime directive on Stargate and I think that's one of the things that I would love to discuss in a podcast at some point what the impact of a prime directive would be what kind of directives would we set out to make directly or indirectly we have since opening that doorway killed a lot of people a lot of people have died in the process Mm. uh, both on our planet but uh, I mean in the Pegasus galaxy millions of people have died because of the replicators alone not saying anything about the wraith conversation I would love to have is are we better off having opened it Mm. and having taken the fire from the gods and 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 taken that knowledge and that's one thing about Star Trek is we are in the future and we have solved all sorts of problems on our planet that we are ready to join a larger community we have Mm -hmm. become enlightened to the Mm -hmm. extent where we are prepared to join an interplanetary community on stargate i'm not always sure that we are mac jackson says star trek set a certain standard in sci-fi storytelling stargate then came along and either avoided or improved upon those cliche plots the first sg1 season was dangerously close to walking the star trek off-planet dilemma of the week line by having no overall thread. Thank God that changed. And since then, only the fun, lighthearted episodes are similar to me. Stargate has only improved the realistic and exciting world of sci-fi that others have started. This is an interesting point. Uh, basically saying uh, what, what you were saying at the start of this discussion, which is a lot is owed to Star Trek, uh, for the entire franchise, for laying the groundwork for reinventing science fiction on television as, as, as a serious storytelling uh, category, and then shows like like Stargate and uh, uh, definitely other favorites, Farscape and Battlestar, uh, have come along and and built on that and said, okay, here's where we want to you know follow in Star Trek's fine fine pedigree in their footsteps, and here's where we want to be a different kind of show and do things different. It seems like Star Trek is still the gold standard, you know, even if its star is not in ascension on television right now, we still hear comments from the writers' room at Stargate where they say, uh, you know, an idea gets pitched out for an episode, and either they say, no, we've already done that on Stargate, or no, it's too close to a Star Trek episode, and Star Trek is still a, a measurement in in the writers' room. Well, there have been five television series, and eleven films. How many sci-fi franchises can say that? In terms of the other sci-fi that's out there, Star Trek, prominence aside, weighs in really heavily on the content that's available in the sci-fi universe. There's a lot of it. Something like 600 or I think maybe even with the films now, 700 produced hours of Star Trek. In terms of Star Trek's technobabble, when I think of all the other sci-fi shows that I have watched, technobabble weighs in the most heavily on Stargate. Not so much on Battlestar, not so much on Lost, not so much on any other that I can... Stargate really comes second. 
in terms of next to Star Trek in terms of the amount of techno babble that it has and it's needing to rely on techno babble, which is a means to an end. Yeah, I I would say that's much more true of Atlantis than it is of SG one. You look at SG one and when Samantha Carter starts off and Jack's eyes glaze over, no, she's engaged in techno babble. And that happens almost every single episode. She gets excited and she keeps going and he goes, well, uh, uh. that's always prominent. And yes, I think it is there at Atlantis too. That's a good point. And, and in that respect, I think I would have to distinguish between two different kinds of techno babble. I love Sam Carter's techno babble because it makes sense to me. It's very plausible. It's based in real world physics. You know, usually she's offering a nice little analogy like, like the pieces of fruit in Red Sky. She's trying to explain the sun and what's going on with the sun versus the sort of, of techno babble that you get in Star Trek and a little bit in the later years of Atlantis, I think. But mainly I'm thinking of especially Voyager, uh, where the techno babble is of the variety of let's string together words like polarity and inverse tachyon. And it's not necessary. I mean, it's kind of based in real world physics, but Star Trek has a, a bit of a physics to its to its own, of its own. And so that it's sort of just barfing out highfalutin sounding words in order to offer an explanation to convince the audience that this is going to work and the characters believe it should work. Well, in the 24th century, there are going to be concepts that are going to be flung around as common vernacular that we're not supposed to understand, that our ears are not supposed to be able to figure out. That's going to happen. It is filmed nowadays obviously it is not in the 23rd century they have to do something to a to solve stories and b to approximate the future and i think i think stargate does do that better but you know when we get into things like asgard transporter beams when we have to solve a problem or when when we have when we have to create a problem for the characters on Stargate, I am always amazed at how similar many of the solutions are. We need to transport Carter aboard, but we shouldn't be able to, so we just have one of the characters say that there's too much interference. Mm. And it solves it, and we move on. I love that. Mm. I think it's also, I think it can be very irritating because it's never, it's not really an adequate explanation. Yeah, it's kind of like reverse the polarity. Or my favorite one, I was watching an episode of Voyager tonight, and... The character has stolen a shuttlecraft. This was in Q2 in Season 7. Uh, the Q yeah. Jr. has stolen a, a, the Delta Flyer and is escaping, and we got a tractor beam on him, and, and he's created a, a feedback, and he's getting away, and Janeway says, compensate, compensate. I mean, that order is basically like the equivalent of, I don't want this to be happening. Make it stop. Yeah, exactly. But what are you going to do, you know? that you have, They have to tell the story that they want to tell, and that's just a byproduct of it is... is dialogue to explain away you know thankfully they try both on Stargate and Star Trek they do their darndest to try Mm -hmm. to explain away certain problems that the audience will say well why don't you do this and why don't you do that well they condense the why don't you into the uh, the expository scenes and and try to give as many of them as succinct credibility as possible you know by by explaining it away with a techno babble answer Mm -hmm. or giving an actual answer uh, for why it wouldn't work, in order to tell the story that they want to tell. Yeah, certainly not an enviable task. And when you've done 314 hours of television, can you blame them for screwing up every once in a while? Thunderhawk says, as for Star Trek versus Stargate, Trek wins. It has always been a wonderful and limitless storytelling concept and has found great ways to interconnect all the series and keep the continuity solid. Now this is a hard question. Trek wins or Gate wins. 
I mean, what do you think? Do you put these two up against each other and put verses in between them at the end of the day? Or are we going to have to decide which one we like better? That wasn't the point of why I, I decided to suggest this to you. That wasn't the point at all. Hmm. A question that I do want to ask is, um, is Star Trek just as poignant as it was when it was on the air? Some of those great episodes like from the original series and, and Next Generation and DS9 and Voyager and, yes, Enterprise. If there was another Star Trek to come on the air, do you think it would even be capable of being a ratings winner? Or do you think that amount of naivety and, and oh, the future's perfect and everything's bright in the future and everything's fine and we've solved all of our problems. Do you think that's what television audiences really want to watch right now? Well, as I said, I think in our, in our bonus Star Trek podcast discussion, I, I would love to see a future version of the Federation, a future television series where the Federation is in shambles and it's not all bright and pretty. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I mean, everybody's doing dark and gritty right now and that's fine, but I think it's, it's great fertile ground for storytelling. But really you ask two questions. One is, is, is a, is a new Star Trek series marketable? And on the other side, is Star Trek still capable of telling those sorts of stories that, that really challenge us, that really get inside our heads and get under our skin? And I have to believe, after the success of the new film, I think the answer to the first question is yes. They can do Star Trek on television and make it financially successful again, make it a ratings winner again. What that looks like, I mean, there's, I think, in my opinion, there's a wrong way to do it and a right way to do it. But Star Trek is definitely still capable of telling those great stories and getting into our heads and getting under our skin. Like like those great, great episodes, one of my all-time favorite television series, I think. If I had to pick my top my top two favorite series next generation and sg1 would be up there together so episodes of next generation like i borg uh, mm-hmm. that's my dad's those, favorite yeah ask those tough moral questions in a, in a great little science fiction package star trek can do it again it hasn't done it for a long time i was very disappointed with enterprise i could probably count on one hand the number of enterprise episodes that i thought did that successfully and I think that's interesting because I managed to watch Enterprise once a year. We haven't really brought up the the film, the new the new Star Trek film in this in this um, in this podcast. And one of the very very few issues that I had with Star Trek that I the the film Star Trek Eleven that I did not mention in our bonus podcast a few weeks ago. It's a beautiful movie. It's well shot. It's well directed. The writing is fantastic. The casting was fantastic. But it does not make you think. There was nothing about the film that made you think. Mm. And I'm concerned that in order to market this film to the, the greatest audience possible, that they're willing to water down the idea of Star Trek so that they can cash in on it the most. Because one of the greatest things about Star Trek is that it makes you think. Mm. And if you take away that element for too long, the whole nature of, of, of the concept becomes... In my opinion, not what Star Trek is. Yeah, Star Trek Eleven was, as we all know, it was originally to be released in, in the Christmas season. And then it was bumped back to be a big summer blockbuster, big a big popcorn action movie, which it really is. I mean, the pace is incredibly rapid. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you're right. It, the questions that I went away asking were questions about continuity, questions about the future of, of the Federation and of this timeline. Yeah, it makes you think in that regard. But, you know, thinking in terms of asking, like, questions of right or wrong or, or you know, big big cosmic 
mm-hmm. questions that SG-1 and Atlantis have always been good at asking, you know, taking time to bring up controversial issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to see for Star Trek Twelve for the, the second film from J.J. And, and Alex and Roberto, I would love to see the sort of thing that we got this time with a bit more slowing down and, and you know, having a hard debate, having a having a tough question come up, uh, a tough issue like revenge in Wrath of Khan. That sort of thing could could have come up in this movie with with the Romulans. It carefully doesn't. Yeah, it's sort of it's it's percolating in the background, but they don't deliberately spend a lot of time on it. What you notice is if you read the comic book Star Trek Countdown, the comic book covers it, mm. but the movie doesn't. So that was just their priorities. I find that very interesting or fascinating. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, I think, uh, I mean, you always, we always compare Stargate in the fact that you and I hope that it becomes the second great lasting franchise. I think it's off to a great start. I mean, that's, maybe that's an obvious thing to say now. But when, when you and I got into this game, you know, I started Gate World in Season 3. It was, kind of, it was a little cable show. That had a lot of potential for storytelling. Now it's got 15 seasons, and they have started uh, a third television series. They've got DVD movies coming. We still haven't crossed that threshold of big budget features, which I hope is yeah. in our future. But yeah, yeah, you know the franchise is now 15 years old, and it's it's no Star Trek. It hasn't garnered critical acclaim, which I find disappointing. Yeah, um, people. Pin it with, as I continue to say, and I will continue to say, people categorize it under the pointed ears category. What's that odd show? Oh, it was the one with Richard Dean Anderson. Oh, that's right. That's right. The guy with the gold thing on his head. I, saw, I heard that one the other day. <laughs> but that was pretty funny. It has a long way to go. I think if they keep on chipping away at it, I think, I think they may actually succeed. They may not. Stargate may not be that. Universe is certainly a good attempt to break that mold. And I don't blame them for trying. Not in the slightest. And yeah. frankly, I'm ready for something new. I think that Star Trek would have done better on television. Uh, would not have been really, I think, forced off the airwaves by its low viewership earlier in this decade if it had made some some larger shifts. You know, going back and doing a prequel series or you know, even a decade earlier, going and doing a series that's set on a space station instead of a ship... Those are significant moves, but you're not talking, you know, a major change in the creative staff. Uh, you're not talking about a major shift in, in the universe. It's just, you know, a different group of people set in a different place or on a different ship. I think that a long-lasting franchise, especially in this day and age, needs to make bigger changes. It needs to shake things up much more from series to series, which is why I like the fact that universe is going to be so much different than Atlantis. And a lot of our friends who are Atlantis fans don't like it and don't want to watch it for that very reason because they love more and more of the same and they want to get more and more of the same. And if Universe was more like Atlantis, I think if they weren't talking about changing the way it's shot, changing the way that stories are told, focusing on characters and relationships, a lot of those fans might be a little bit more interested in it. But I don't think that makes Stargate a franchise that goes 50 years. Mm-mm. No, it wouldn't last very long. It's been done. Both franchises are just near and dear to my heart. I grew mm-hmm. up being known as a Star Trek freak. Probably should have done this at the beginning, but let's just talk about where in the scheme of, of Star Trek we each grew up. We're a few years apart. 
And I grew up watching the original series in syndication. So I was born in 76. I don't have any problem telling the world that. I was a little kid watching reruns of Captain Kirk over and over again. And then I was sitting on the floor of our family room with my eyes agape watching Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. Next Generation was was our Saturday night ritual as a family. I was 11 when TNG finished its run. I wasn't allowed to watch anything but PBS and Star Trek until I was about five. It really was a part of who I ended up becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Deep Space Nine I never watched until a, a few years ago, until very recently. Hmm. Uh, first season of Voyager I didn't watch. I did watch subsequent seasons of Voyager and then Enterprise, of course. I did watch that. It's always really been a part of my life, and it continues to be. Star Trek Eleven is no exception. And now Stargate, too. And I'm looking forward to watching both shows live long and prosper. Listener mail. We got some great feedback on last week's discussion of Just War on Stargate. Jay Styles writes in and says, The Wraith and the Asurans are non-humans, that act virtually with a single purpose against humanity and do not qualify for protection under either the rules of war or just war ethics. Because these two races are enemies against all humanity, then it is just and moral to wage an all-out genocidal war against them. In much the same way, diseases like polio and smallpox are being eradicated by agencies like the WHO. The amoral thing to do would be to give them any quarter. And we have a couple of voicemails as well. Hi, this is Ian from British Columbia. Uh, this is in response to the comment in the last podcast on pacifism in regards to Stargate. The way I view it is it's more of a personal internal thing to me. As a Christian, I don't want to be physically responsible for the death of someone else and causing them to go to hell. I view it as more of in a religious way. I just don't want to be physically responsible in that way. And that being said, I wouldn't participate in the war with Iraq, but I would I support our tr- the troops that are over there and the people the troops in Afghanistan that are trying to protect the people of Canada and the United States. Hey guys, this is Jack from Arizona. I was just calling to talk to you guys about how in uh, Stargate you're talking about how Daniel Jackson is sort of the moral choice for SG One. Well, in a really early episode, he has the choice to either... There's a big spot, pot of symbiotes, and he has the choice to either walk away or he shoot them and kill them. And uh, Sam tells him that he should just walk away, and then the last second he turns around and kills them all. So that was something very interesting. And then we talked about how Sam sort of wasn't really the moral choice for Atlantis, and she sort of did lose her touch when she went to um, Atlantis. So I agree with you guys there, but Sam did have sort of a moral influence in SG-1. Thanks, guys, for those voicemails. I like this uh, this comment from Jack on pointing out that uh, the the moral voice of the team, Daniel Jackson, has done some questionable things in his time. Uh, if you consider a Gould symbiote to be a sentient being, then, you know, he did blow up a few in his day. Yeah, he did murder a few. He also gave birth to a few. Mm. <laughs> Creepy. I'm still thinking about Jay Styles' email that I just read, and I think that what I want to say to this is is he or she is definitely getting at 
uh, an important point that I don't know if we covered real well, uh, but it, it does address the question that we covered in, in the issue of this conversation starts with the question of whether or not your enemy is sentient. So are the wraith a walking, talking, bipedal virus like smallpox, or are they a species that is sentient? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the place that we want to start. If a wraith is capable of self-analysis, I think it's greater than a virus. Yeah, and I would look at characters like Todd that have done that, that self-analysis, uh, and characters like Aaliyah, which we mentioned in the podcast, uh, the young wraith girl, who have done that mm-hmm. self-reflection. And based on those sorts of characters, I would say, this is not a monolithic, non-sentient evil. The replicators were certainly capable of self-analysis. I mean, Neom and the others looked at their programming and they said, we were designed to be something terrible, but we don't want to be that. Mm. So, what's coming up next week? June 17th, we're going to have more of our Stargate SG-1 history. I've been watching a lot of Season 5 episodes for this one. And we have a corresponding question in that regard. Can you guess what it's going to be? What is your favorite episode from the fifth season of Stargate SG-1? And why do you love it? Should be a very diverse group of uh, answers for this one. Stargate SG-1 Season 4 was my favorite overall season, but Season yeah. 5 contains my favorite episode. There's some, there's some really good stuff in Season 5. I'll be interested to see what people have to say on this one. You can uh, yeah. call in to the podcast hotline and leave us a voicemail for that discussion. That's area code 616-712-1647. Or head on over to the podcast feedback thread at the forum and let us know what your favorite episode of Season 5 is. That's going to be next week. June 24th, we're covering character over and under usage. Do you think characters like Teal'c had enough to say during the series run of SG-1? Do you think Ronan had enough overall impact on the team and the episodes that uh, he was involved with? Did he have enough episodes at all? Tilk was one of those overused characters, wasn't he? He took up a lot of screen, not necessarily a lot of screen time. Well, that's our June 24th show, and then we'll come back 1st of July and talk about SG-1 Season 6. Once again, we're going to compress these Stargate History podcasts a little bit. They'll be every... Every two to three weeks for the rest of the summer. Sounds like fun? Sounds like fun. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks, everybody, once again for tuning in. We talked about Stargate versus Star Trek in this week's main discussion. Plus, we gave you a preview of Gate World's interview with actor Kirby Morrow. Head over to GateWorld.net in just a few days to see the full interview. Or I should say to hear... Was that video or audio? It's video. It's and video. audio. Okay. And it's audio video. See and hear that full <laughs> interview. And for links to everything we talked about today, look for the episode number 46, show notes. We always appreciate your feedback and or commentary. So give us a call in the hotline, 616-712-1647. Definitely seeing an uptick in the amount of voicemail that we are getting, so keep it up. I love Good it. Deal. All of you are getting on air, except for the really insane ones. No, yeah. everyone's getting everyone's getting on air. The insane ones are hosting the podcast. That's right. Of course, you can also leave us a comment in the podcast feedback thread on GateWorld Forum or underneath the latest podcast show notes. I had a good time. That's good. This was fun. I think Battlestar will be fun, too. Let's talk about Stargate versus Battlestar. Battlestar.
when uh, Universe gets out, I definitely want to talk about Firefly. Because Farscape, buddy. You need to watch some more Farscape. We can only talk about shows that we both know fluently about. This is true. I'm not going to make you do Stargate versus Sequest. I've been meaning to watch Sequest. It's in my Netflix. Don't waste your time. 